even single people to get, horse pack that we encourage families to get, even single people to get, people who don't have, don't have children. This is a good resource guide for you to have in your home, family resource guide. On the back, we give a little explanation of why we encourage families to worship together, of why we want children in here, kids in here. Uh, we, uh, we put this together for you, so I encourage you to get that. Also, in the children's pack this week, we have a really neat chart, Father, Son, Spirit chart, um, that, uh, that is out of John chapter 14, and so we would encourage you to look at that as well, along with the sermon guide for your children. Uh, just some things that I wanted to bring to your attention. I love the Back to the Future series. It's a series that's kind of like pizza. It doesn't get old. I enjoy it. There is a, a song in the first one called The Power of The Power of Love. The Power of Love. Sermon title of the day is uh, Union with God out of John 14, verse 15 to 31. You can go ahead and turn there. And I wanted to call your attention to the power of love because in this passage we speak of how love, we're going to talk about how love fuels or empowers keeping the commandments of God. Love helps us to cherish the commandments of Jesus. Um, we eat the food that we enjoy. If we like a food, we eat it. Unless we're on a diet and we pray for power to not eat it. But we love it, so we eat it. If we love cookies, we eat cookies. Which right now is hard for me because I get free cookies that are expired when I work with Ryan. Ryan Deaton, they're just there. Like, I can't see those go to the trash can, so I get those dark chocolate Milanos and... It's only 140 calories per two cookies, so I eat them. We're compelled to eat the things that we love. Love compels people to do crazy things. Remember when you were dating, and I've heard people say this before, that you start dating and there's affection and there's kind of this infatuation. And I'll tell you this, though. May 9th, uh, the day after the May 8th storm in 2009, I knew when I told Jordan the first time that I told her this, I love you, I knew that I loved her. And uh, I meant it, and I do certainly have a more deeper love and affection for her now. But love compelled us to do crazy things. I was sweet and thoughtful and considerate. And, you know, when you first start dating, you can be really, really creative. And then as you get married, we're coming up on our eight-year anniversary, I start thinking, like, I, I know her more than I used to know her, but why can't I think of a gift to give her? I just, what is it about gift giving for some guys? I just can't, just baby, give me a link. If you'll just give me a link, I'll, I'll get what you want me to give. But the creativity somehow or another seems to wane a little bit. And, you know, the secret in marriage is to, is to kind of kindle those fires of creativity. And, but we, we still love. We love each other. There's a depth of love. But love compels people to do crazy things, to stay up late in conversation, to go out on dates to spend time getting to know one another. Love compels a person to do things, to action. Love is a verb. Uh, this is not just observable, it's biblical. It's absolutely biblical. The Bible tells us that if we want to rightly obey God, we must first love God. You cannot get the cart before the horse. If we love God, we will obey God. If there is bad action in the life of a believer, that is a fruit problem. The root problem is a lack of love. Love at the root 
then holiness will be the fruit. If love is there, holiness comes from that. If we love Jesus, we want to obey Him. That is biblical. We see that this morning. If you would go to John chapter 14, hopefully you're already there. And let me just read the whole passage this morning. And then we'll start back at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I, have, I will come to you. Yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him. And he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but it's my Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You have heard me say to you that I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father. The Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do this. Do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world will know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those who love Jesus cherish his commandments. They love what he has to say. The posture of those who love Jesus is a posture that comes and says, I submit to you. Jesus, I love you. And I cherish you. What you say goes. But the question has to be asked when we read this verse, okay, what are the commandments of Jesus? What are these commandments? Now the chapter before, chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, a new commandment that I give to you, that you would love one another as I have loved you, so you shall love one another. Commandment of Jesus. But in 1 John Verse 3, chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. I was talking to my father-in-law about this yesterday. It's just so helpful considering this. John, the same author, writes this. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of, the son, of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Jesus has commanded us to love, we have been commanded to love Jesus and love one another. Think the great commandment 
love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then when we think about the Great Commission, this Great Commission to bring the gospel out throughout the world, we have some commandments, some core commandments of Jesus. And if we love Jesus, we will sit at his feet and let him tell us how to live our life. And when he tells us how to live our life, when he tells us our mission in this life, we say, I agree with you. You are right, Jesus. You are in charge. I will love you and I will love other people. And by your grace, I will go into all the world making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'll teach them to observe all that you have commanded. That's going to be my life mission. Those who love Jesus sit at his feet and listen to him speak to them. And he tells them their purpose for their lives. So we are not at liberty. The people of God are not at liberty to say to God, God, here's why I exist. Because we have been told why we exist. We have a mission given from God, not to be made up from ourselves and then to give to God to bless. God has given us his commandments and told us what our life exists for. And Jesus says for those who love him, those who will keep his commandments, he's going to ask the Father and the Father is going to send another helper, even the spirit of truth, to be with us forever. Now, this is incredible. Um, those who love God will keep his commandments, and those who love God and keep his commandments, here's the deal. It kind of goes, it's a package deal here. These disciples are hearing they're going to have the Holy Spirit, even the Spirit of truth, come to not only be with them, but to be in them. Verse 17 says, the Holy Spirit, being for those who love God, does this. You will know him, the Spirit and he will dwell with you and will be in you. Now this is a monumental saying that Jesus is talking about. When he says the Spirit of God, even the Spirit of truth, is not just going to be with you, but in you. He is referencing back to the promise of old that the Spirit of God does not live in temples built by human hands. But he will dwell with people and God will be the temple of God. Ezekiel, I want you to turn there with me. It may take a minute, kind of go to the middle of your Bible and the Psalms and start turning right, and you'll get to the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And I want you to consider with me the monumental saying of Jesus, that the Spirit of God is not only going to be with these disciples, but the Spirit of God is going to be in these disciples. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 29. Keep in mind, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would be with God's people. The prophet would speak, thus saith the Lord, after the Holy Spirit would rush upon the prophet. The judge would have the Spirit, the judge of God, and the judges would have the Spirit of God rush over them, and mighty things would happen. Samson, the Spirit of God would rush over him, and he would kill armies. The Spirit of God would come and empower the prophet, empower the people, but would not dwell within the people. And in the promise of the Old Testament is that this day is coming and it's going to be something new. It's going to be something different. The experience of humanity with God is going to be unique. 
And so this is a promise that we read in, in, verse, in chapter 36 of Ezekiel that's not currently happening with the people of old. It didn't happen in them. And then after the Spirit of God comes upon us, it does happen. Chapter 36, verse 26 to 29, the prophet Ezekiel says, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules." And you shall dwell in the land that I give your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from your uncleanness, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. The Spirit of God is promised to come not just upon God's people, but in God's people. And what will the Spirit of God do? I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The promise is God's going to dwell, the Holy Spirit will dwell in you and will be the great cause, the great reason why you obey God. This is God causing us to obey Him. Now this may step on a few of our toes who are confident in our abilities before God with the Spirit of God within us. Please know that every action of obedience that we live on this earth is not because of you. Amen. Every action of obeying God's law or His command is because of the Holy Spirit of God within you. Amen. The Holy Spirit is promised to come. This old heart of stone will be replaced. And then in this new experience, when the Holy Spirit will come, this regeneration, this unique work that will happen in the heart is that the Holy Spirit will come and make His home within God's people. We will be the very temple of God, not built by human hands. The Spirit of God not just resting or hovering upon us or empowering us momentarily, but the Spirit of God will come and be inside of us. The disciples, they currently have the Holy Spirit with them, but not in them, something different is going to take place. God will be in His people. This is humanity as humanity is intended to be lived. There can be a humanness about us that the people of old could never experience. I don't know all the ins and outs. I can't dot all the I's and cross all the T's of how the experience of the people of God now is unique compared to the experience of the people of God pre-Holy Spirit coming to live in us. We can't dot all the I's. We can't cross all the T's. But it is plain and clear that the Spirit of God did not rest and did not live within the people of God pre-Pentecost. And now, today, the Spirit of God lives not in the temple, in you the temple of God. It is clear. It's not ambiguous. It's not even left up for discussion. The Spirit of God dwells within the people of God. Jesus explains a little bit further. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Go back to John 14. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Because I live and yet a little while in the world you'll see me no more, but, I, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. 
And Jesus, as he talks about the Holy Spirit's indwelling God's people, he begins to speak in union language. He says this, because I live, you're going to live. Life, uh, N.T. Wright, a scholar that's questionable in some things, he talks about the restoration of all things and when we have uh, a restored body one day, that restoration is life after, life after death. Life after, life after death. The resurrection of Jesus not only promised a resurrected body, but it promised that we would experience spiritual regeneration on this earth. We have been born again. We are dead people who have been made alive. Because Jesus lived, we will live. Not just forevermore, but now. We have been brought from death to life. Just like Lazarus, we get these images all throughout the Gospel of John. Just like Lazarus, and Jesus stood at the door of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, wake up! Live! And he lived. You and I, if we are in Christ, no matter how old or young you are, if you're in Christ, you have been born again, you have moved from death to life. Because Jesus lives, you will live. And then one day we'll get a resurrected body, just like Jesus. One day, not now, one day. That's why your joints hurt. One day, the resurrected body, Jesus will return, and we will experience life after life after death. Because we have experienced right now life after death. You were dead, and you are now alive. But he introduces this union talk. That what, what's happening with Jesus is representative for his people. So if we look at Jesus, this is what's going to happen with us. We are going to die, death, and burial, and resurrection. What happens to Jesus will happen with and in us. There's this connection here. He is representative. And we are united to him. So those who have the Spirit of God are going to experience this union with Jesus. You will live because I live. And Jesus is revealing to them that, that, I, that what I'm experiencing here, the range of my life, and my life, death, and resurrection, if you're in me, if you're connected to me, you're going to get counted as living, the, just united. You're, it's like you're sewn into my side. And my actions that I lived in this life, it's like you have been, I'm, I'm your representative. It's like you have lived this very life that I have lived. This death that I'm going to die it's like you're, you're tied in with me, that you, in fact, are experiencing judgment as I am your representative. You are united to my death. And then when I raise from the dead, you are united because I'm let, raised, you will be raised. This union talk begins in this passage, and then he begins to explain it a little bit further. Look at verse 21, or 20. In that day, this resurrection day, so this is in that day, we're converted, the Spirit of God is within us, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So let's think about this verse. Whoever has and keeps Jesus' commandments, he it is that loves Jesus. To be distinguished from people who say, oh, I love those who are out there saying, well, I keep Jesus' commandments because I turn the other cheek. 
I don't submit to him as the Lord of my life. I've not repented of my sins and trusted in his life, death, and resurrection. I just live the life that he told us to live. That is not keeping his commandments. That is not loving him. That's believing that he is some ethicist telling us how to live. That's not who Jesus is. He's king and Lord or he's nothing to you. So those who love Jesus keep his commandments and the Father will love that person. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, this unique love. God loves everybody, but not everybody the same way. And that is unmistakable in the scriptures. Those who are in Christ are loved by the Father. Those who love the Son are loved by the Father in a special way that He does not love everybody in the world. It's plain and it's clear. And I'll ask the same question I asked three weeks ago or four weeks ago. Do you know this special love? This unique love? Not this universal love, yeah, God loves everybody the same. No, He doesn't. Do you know the special love that God has for you? Have you experienced that? Those who love Jesus, love the Son, submit to Him, keep. Keep doesn't necessarily mean do His commands. Has with it this meaning also of keeping or holding on to or cherishing His commands. And when you hear Jesus speak in His Word, do you love His words? Keep them? Cherish them? And for those who love God, there's something unique that happens. Verse 23 and 24, those who love Jesus. Look at this, verse 23. Jesus answered him. So how is it that you're going to manifest? Judas asked, how are you going to manifest yourself to us? And Jesus answers back, here's how I'm going to manifest myself to you. Here's the deal. Here's the bullseye. Here's how will I manifest myself to you, disciples, and to future believers. Verse 23 and 24. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Now, isn't it interesting how many times he says this? If you love me, you're going to keep my word. If you love me, you're going to follow me. You're going to submit to me. If you don't, you won't. Just as simple as that. You're not going to hang on my very words. You're not going to love or cherish them. If anyone loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. There it is again, the special love of God. And we will come to him, Father, Son, we will come to him and make our home with him. Hold on. I want to talk to you about union with God. We are well acquainted, we should be, with the Spirit of God indwelling us. We just saw it. The Spirit of God will come and dwell within us. But Jesus is saying to Judas to answer his question, how will you manifest yourself to us? And Jesus tells the room, in the upper room, he tells the disciples, it's Thursday, Friday is about to come. He's about to be handed over. He tells them, me and my Father will come to you. Amen. Father, Son, and Spirit dwelling in a person. God will be united with people. People united with with God. For those who love God, Jesus is saying, you, are, you, are, you will have oneness with God. 
Unity with Him. God in you. The Trinity in us. To be sure, Jesus is not saying you will be God, but that God will make His home in us. The magnitude of this statement. People in this life seek transcendence. The reason we name drop, the reason we speak of ourselves in a, in a flattery sort of way, is because we want people to think, I'm somebody. If we know somebody famous, we take a picture out and we throw it on Instagram because we want our name and face to be associated with that name and face. We want to be known and friends with people we think are cool. It may be Chip and Joanna Gaines. Carol. <laughs> These people, to be friends with them, to know them, to be in communion with them, to be in relationship with somebody. We, we have people like that on our list, no matter who it is. Even if it's like, just, who, just whoever. And here is Jesus saying, I'm going to manifest myself to you. God the Father, God the Son, we're going to make our home in you. If you have God, why do you need anything else? Transcendence. We live this life as if we have a bucket list of things we want to do and experience and blah, 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 blah. You have God. How's that for a bucket list? God in you. And how quickly we are to take verses like this and, oh, that's cool. And it doesn't affect our experience at all. The God who speaks and creates matter. The God who saved you from your sins and your rebellion dwells in you. That should change everything. Should. It's interesting, as we kind of think about this and get excited about it and get kind of like this holy awe moment, this holy moment of, wait a minute, Jesus is not ashamed to be called my brother. God lives within me. What I do with my body, if I do, if I live out sin in my body, I drag the God of the universe into it. And yet God is faithful to me. What should build excitement in us and what should have built excitement in the disciples? Here's the irony of all of this. There's a problem. The disciples are not liking what they're hearing. They should be rejoicing at what Jesus is saying, but instead their posture in that upper room as they're talking with Jesus, turns south. And they don't get excited about this particular manifestation to come. And they don't get excited about the Spirit of God coming and dwelling upon them. They start getting sad. And instead of rejoicing, they're sorrowful. We see this here in a second. 
So what should bring excitement, what should be joy, those who love Him and keep His commandments, God's going to come and dwell with us. And the Father will love Him. will keep His commandments. The disciples start getting sad. Look at verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. All that I have said to you. So the ministry of the Spirit, when the Spirit comes, these things you don't understand now, disciples, it's like there'll be a light bulb moment. And we see that in, at Pentecost. Even when the Spirit of God comes, it's like all of a sudden these, these abstract things that they were confused about pre, pre-Pentecost, all of a sudden now they're preaching Christ and Him crucified. The dots are connected. Wait a minute. Jesus died for our sins. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you for the remission of your sins. All of these things came together because the Spirit of God comes and helps them remember the things that Jesus said and He will teach you the things that He's talking about. So the disciples are going to get a teacher. They're going to get the dots connected. The Holy Spirit is going to come and remind them of the words of Christ. And then Jesus, it seems kind of like in an odd place here, speaks to those who are not feeling peace as they're feeling trouble. Because in this verse 27, it says, let, let your hearts not be troubled, nor let them be afraid. He said, you should be rejoicing. In verse 28, he says this, my peace I leave with you. Not like the world, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but to I, as I give. Let not, not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. The peace that Jesus is leaving with them, again, news that should be celebrated, is amazing sort of peace. What is His peace? Well, the last sentence is commentary on the first sentence in verse 27. Here's His peace, an untroubled heart is what He leaves for us. And He also leaves for us an unafraid heart. Peace for weary hearts. Courage for afraid souls. This is the peace that He lives. Knowing the disciples' hearts in this moment, He says, I give you My peace. I leave it with you. It's available. It's yours. My peace. I'm in charge of everything. Be at peace. If you're with Me, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be troubled. So peace and no fear. No fear. If you're afraid, look to Jesus. Why? Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Him. All authority. If you're in Christ, you don't have to be afraid. Peace for weary hearts. Courage for scared souls. But the disciples still are not getting this. They're not getting it. So much so that this verse that just troubled me this week, I was so confused by this verse all week long. I asked so many people and wrestled with it, talked with Andy about it, had Kurt help me, reached out online with, uh, to a guy as well. In verse 28, Jesus says this to the disciples, You've heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. Listen to this. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. If you loved me? After all this talk about love, the Spirit of God dwelling within them, to the disciples, Jesus said, you're not rejoicing for this good that's about to come my way. I'm going back to my Father. You're not rejoicing. 
If you loved me, you would rejoice. This troubled me. I was confused. It's like Jesus saying, disciples, you should be happy for me, but instead you're sad. You want, you want me on your terms. You're happy with me if I stay with you. You're happy with me if, if, I'm gonna, if you will do things the way I want you to do them. Or the other way around. It's like the disciples are saying, Jesus, I, I love you as long as you do things my way. And Jesus is, if you love me, you would rejoice with me. You should be happy for me, disciples, but you're sad. You're not loving me. He just talked to them about loving him. And already in the same conversation, they can't rightly love him. They're failing to keep his commandments during the very conversation that Jesus is telling them to love and keep my commandments. And they are failing to love already. They can't get past the conversation. Here's what love looks like. You should be rejoicing right now, but you're not. You're not loving me. They can't make it through a quick, small teaching. In this moment, they're already failing to love Jesus, the disciples. Failing to love him. Verse 29, I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but we make a transition. The disciples are failing to love in this moment. But what is Jesus doing? Jesus, our faithful substitute lover. But I do as my Father has commanded me, so the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. Jesus does as his Father commands. The disciples are not doing what Jesus commanded, Jesus is doing what his Father commanded. Why does Jesus do this? So the world would know that He loves the Father. They are failing to love. Jesus is prevailing in the love category. Jesus is loving His Father and doing this, keeping the commandments, so the world would know Jesus loves His Father. Jesus is concerned that the world knows, I love my Father. I keep His commands. I rejoice when I should rejoice. I submit when I need to submit. I love my Father. His love leads to perfect action every moment of every single day. What they fail to do, He prevails in doing. Jesus keeps the commandments because He loves His Father. The good news of the Gospel is not love God and keep His commandments. If that's the message and the message alone, love God and keep His commandments, dying world, the world goes to hell in a handbasket. The good news of the gospel of Jesus is that Jesus loved God and kept His commandments in your 
place. This union we see here. And if we get this, because we don't get just exonerated from these commands. But if we'll get that Jesus is our great substitute lover. When I am failing to love God and failing to keep his commandments in this moment. When the fruit is showing this ugly root that my love has grown cold to my heavenly father. My love has grown cold to Jesus. And I lack the energy. When we go and we see Jesus, our faithful substitute lover, loved God in my place for me, that in that moment of my failure, God would look at me with favor and love me in spite of me. Things, guys, friends, brothers, sisters, love just builds inside of us. If we get Jesus, our substitute lover, this whole piece, this order, love and you will keep. If you understand that Jesus did this for you, Then inside of you, Jesus, I love you. I could have never done this. The disciples couldn't do it. Now that I have the Holy Spirit, even now the Spirit shows me that I, in ways that he couldn't show, the ways that the Spirit didn't show them, how much more I need Jesus. The Spirit didn't come to make us need Jesus less. The Spirit came to shine a big spotlight on Jesus so we know how much more we need him. Those with the Spirit of God who are obeying Him, it isn't like we're obeying our way out of our need for His death and resurrection. We're recognizing how wonderful and awesome that He is. That's what the Spirit of God does. Jesus, our substitute lover. In John chapter 16, we're going to talk more about the Spirit here in a couple weeks. This is the work of the Spirit. This is the, J.I. Packer calls, the central activity of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14 of chapter 16. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, and He will take what is mine, and He will declare it to you. He will take what is Christ, He will glorify me. Where Christ is not being glorified, the Spirit is not working. Where Christ is being glorified, rest assured, the Spirit of God is working. The Holy Spirit helps us to see this. He takes the gospel of Jesus, our substitute command keeper, and He massages it deep down in our heart and into our mind, into our soul. And the God of the universe, as as He is manifesting, Jesus is manifesting Himself to us and in us, we're reminded, I did this for you. I did this for you. I did this for you. The Spirit of God's reminding us and triggering us to remind us this is the Spirit of God at work to point us to Jesus, massaging the gospel deep in our hearts, helping us to see and believe what Christ did for us. And then we love Jesus and we love others. Believe it or not, when we see the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit's working, we see what Christ has done for us, we start keeping his commandments. We start loving God and we start loving others as Christ has loved us. The Holy Spirit within us does not mean we can do it. The Holy Spirit in us helps us see Jesus did it. And then we love him and we keep his commandments. This is union with God. The Father, Son, and Spirit united with people. My question for you this morning, boys, girls, men, women, are you united with God? Or are you just religious? Going through the motions. Trying to save yourself. 
Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you're within us, and I know you're working. I, I don't need to give a bunch of application points because, Holy Spirit, you get to do that for each person here. And you take what's been preached, every sermon I've ever preached, I stand with Paul and say that you save through the folly of what we preach.